are glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Verse John chapter 3 again, verse 11. We just read verse 10. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. I've circled the word should in my Bible and written down beside that verse 16 because in verse 16 it's going to say something very similar. We'll get there in just a moment. So this is the message that that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Verse 12, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother and wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Again, I've got all of verse 13 underlined in my Bible. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we, and I've circled the word, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in Truth, And we'll stop there for tonight. And our focus will be on these verses. I'm going to give you three things from these verses concerning loving one another. This love here is speaking of brotherly love. Uh, The word for that in the Bible is phileo, that brotherly love. We love each other because we're in the same family. I don't think we need to misunderstand. We should love one another with charity as it's divine in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But so much here the emphasis is on loving one another in the family of God. I can't help but believe again in the context of 1 John where in verse 26 he reminds them these things right unto you concerning them which seduce you that there were people coming in to the family of God, coming into the assembly, coming among God's people, claiming to be members of the family but behaving like Cain. Coming among God's people but hating the brethren. And I believe John's dealing with that's not the way you behave when you're a member of God's family. When you're a member of God's family, you are to love one another. And uh, we'll say a few things, as I said, about this tonight, but he points out a few things to them. I believe this. I believe anything that's good, Satan loves to take it, use it, and redefine it so that we, in some measure, misunderstand it or are confused by it or deceived by it or, or whatever it may be. I'll be honest with you. We live in a day when you hear the word love in the context of spiritual instruction, you almost cringe. Now, why is that? Why is it when you hear a preacher start, say, the title of my message is tonight, Love One Another. How many of you would go, I'll sit back and wait on this one? Now, why would that be? Because the word love, I was meeting with man today, and with this very subject came up. We we're talking about loving people, loving God. And I, I was explaining what you've heard me say here many times, and many of you know so well that love has been redefined, first of all, by the world, but it's also been redefined by people who claim to be Christians. It never ceases to amaze me in our time how many people use the term love to actually cover hate. 
Meaning, well, we're just supposed to love everyone and accept them as they are and and not ever say anything uh, that would be disagreeable or anything like that. To love is simply to accept and tolerate any and everything that we come around and anything we find in another person. If that's love, then God is not love. We must remember the definition of love is God and God is defined by his own word. And that being the Bible, I asked the man we spoke to today, I said, did Je- who all did Jesus love? He said, everybody. I said, including the Pharisees? He said, yes, even though sometimes he smacked them a good one. <laughs> I said, true, I mean, not physically. But the Lord Jesus Christ loves everyone. And all I'm trying to say is this, we need not check out when the Bible starts giving us instruction about love how I many of you understand that some years ago, as independent Baptists or among Baptists, there was, a, there was a reluctance to teach and preach about the person of the Holy Spirit. You may not be aware of that, but many were reluctant because the charismatics seemed to try to steal that doctrine, misdefine it. So there were a lot of good preachers that were kind of afraid to touch the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, afraid they might be thought a charismatic, even as it is today. Do you realize how many instructions are on the Bible about loving one another? This is something we are told over and over and to this end. Charity is the crowning grace that shows you're a mature Christian. It is charity that shows we've grown up. When I became a man, I put away childish things, 1 Corinthians 13 says. and said, So we need not push, pull back from the instruction to love one another. We need to understand it from God's perspective and then implement it in our lives. So I hope that will help us do that tonight. All right, so in verse, verses 10 and 11 uh, and then verse 16, we're going to see the fact that loving one another is our duty. It's our duty. We, uh, we need not be afraid of that word either. As Christians, we have certain duties. The Lord Jesus said that when we as his servants have done everything that is our duty to do, we're to say we're unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty. Duty is really that minimum requirement that is upon us because of uh, the, the position that we hold. As God's children, we've been given a great privilege to be in the family of God. And as a result, to whom much is given of the same is much required. We've been given eternal life. We've been given a position in the family of God. We've been given uh, a home in heaven. We have been given pardon for our sins. We've been given a family uh, in this world uh, um, among God's people. We've been given a tremendous amount. We've been given the Holy Spirit that means we have a duty to do something with it. Duty is so well defined in the parable of the, the talents when the master gave five talents and two talents and one talents and they understood that their duty was to go and spend that talent and invest it. One of them failed to fulfill his duty and he was reprimanded for so doing. He was given something and was expected to do something with it. Even so, loving one another is our duty. It is, it, is a, it is an elementary thing that as God's people, we are to love one another. So there's a couple of verses I mentioned as we read through that indicate loving one another is family duty. It's just our duty to do so. Remember what I said there in verse 11. It says, For this then, or this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should... Love one another. And then he says in verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That ought means duty. It's something we are compelled to do because it's just right to do. Remember, the first part of the chapter is about righteousness. Well, here's what's right. We're to love one another. Now, if I asked you tonight to define what it means to love someone, 
If you could say, when I think love, this is the first word that pops in my mind, what would you say? I'm sorry. To serve. Amen. Another? Sacrifice. Okay. Another? To prefer them. Very good. Okay. These are all words connected in the Bible with loving one another. When I think love, I, I, the word that often comes to my mind is value. The value we place on another person. The amount of, uh, of how we esteem someone else. Uh, and when we value another person, certainly all these other things come in place. Value is something, and here, let me ask you this. When the world says love, what would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Lust, emotion, feelings. It's very important for us to understand tonight that duty is not about something that happens to you. It's something you do. Do you understand when God commands us to do something, then he expects us to do it and he enables us to do it. Uh, and no one really commanded me, you know, fall in love with Jenny Beth. There's a time where I realized, you know, I value her and I, I would like to live the rest of my life with her. But at some point in time, the emotions transitioned and they were not as strong and a decision was made to choose her to be my wife and that meant a lot of things for the rest of my life. And the same on her part. And the fact is that love is not so... It's not, we, we speak of, the world speaks of it as something that happens to you, not something you do. But I want us to understand it's a duty. It's something we should do. It's something we ought to do. Verse 10 uh, explains the relationship between righteousness and love, which I've already dealt with. It says, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. And as though he's repeating himself, he says, Neither he that loveth not his brother. He says, Just as much as if you don't do righteousness, you're not of God. You don't love your brother, you're not of God. This is, this is a, uh, uh, there's a direct connection between righteousness and loving one another. That's, that's articulated here. Romans 12 verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Throughout Scripture you'll find, I believe I said this last time we were here, that holiness and charity or love are, are two sides of the same coin. You and I cannot love people and blatantly live in sin. Love worketh no what to his neighbor? No ill to his neighbor. May I say this? Uh, we had, had some young people show up in the parking lot this week and they were doing some things they shouldn't be doing. I went out and spoke to them. Three out of the four of them I knew by first name basis. They're in high school. And I asked those children, I said... Is what you're doing good? And they all four in unison said, no. And I explained to them, I said, let me tell you something. Every time you do something like this, you are, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting people. Talk to a young man on Sunday, 15 years old, same thing. We were talking about sin. I said, sin always hurts someone. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had guys in the jail who are caught up in the drug community. And they're set, what they say to me is, well, the only person I'm hurting is me. What a selfish, stupid statement. I mean, it just really is. That's nonsensical. It's folly. They're sitting in jail knowing that their family can't see them and talk to them, and they have the audacity to say, the only person I'm hurting is me. And yet sometimes we think the same thing. Because many sins are committed in private, and many sins are just between us and our conscience, we think. We think, well, the only person I'm hurting is me. If hurting me at all, it's worth the risk, someone will say. 
And what I'm trying to point out, I believe the Spirit of God is pointing out, is if you're not doing righteousness, you don't love your brother. You cannot, you cannot, see what we're told today is love is permissive of sin. Love will forgive sin, but love is never permissive of sin. Let love be without dissimulation. How? Abhor that which is evil. God continuously through Scripture draws a connection between righteous living and love. No one ever loved people more than Jesus Christ, yet no one else lived the sinless life but Jesus Christ. The way he loved us is by living his righteous life and laying it down for our our sins. And my point to us tonight is this. If anywhere in our mind we have the concept that the way I love people is to excuse and be permissive of sin, that would be wrong. If I say I'm a loving person, I'm just kind of a congenial person, so I'm pretty easygoing about sin, that's not love. We confuse being nice with being loving. I believe love is kind. Don't misunderstand me. Love is kind, but love cannot put its stamp of approval on evil. So God says, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So he again draws that connection, which we'll see later in this text, between righteousness, holiness, and love. They're inseparable companions. Number two, under loving one another is our duty. We see the relationship between righteousness and love, but then we have a reminder He says to them in verse 11, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning. What he's saying is, What I'm telling you, you already know. May I say tonight, I'm not preaching to you anything you don't know. We know we're supposed to love one another. As Christians, we're to love the brethren. I remember a season in my Christian life where it kind of clicked with me. You know what? I just need to make a decision. If someone else in the family of God, I'm going to prefer them. I've got to make the decision that they are going to be of extreme value to me for one reason, they're a brother, they're a sister. Not because of what they offer me, not because of what they can do for me, not because I think if I strike up a relationship with them, it'll kind of, kind of benefit me. For one reason, I'm going to make it my purpose in life to minister and serve them if I have an opportunity because they are a fellow family member in God's family. No other reason. No other reason. And by the way, you'll find great joy when you come to that decision in your Christian life. When I am going to love God's people. Then when you have an opportunity to go to church, when you're here, you love being here, you're in some other place. You know what? You know one of the reasons I want to go to church and I'm in some other place? I have an opportunity to be a blessing in some other place. I can go to church. How many of you enjoy when a visitor comes to our church? How many of you it encourages you? How many of you it strengthens your, your faith to see someone else say, you know what? Even when they're out of town, they go to church. I believe loving one another can be something that simple. To say, as I have opportunity, I want to do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. Do good to all men, but boy, especially do good to other Christians. You know, we need and are supposed to love one another, uh, and we know this already. So John says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. You know what that tells me? From the moment he led these people to Christ, he said, now you're supposed to love each other. I believe, again, I'll say it, it's one of the number one reasons we assemble faithfully and regularly so that we have opportunity to serve one another, so we have opportunity to prefer one another, so we have opportunity to minister to one another uh, in this manner. And so it's just a, a reminder of something they already knew. In John 13, turn there if you would, the Lord Jesus, when he walked this earth, taught this so clearly among his disciples. And nothing could be clearer than the fact he wanted his disciples to love one another. John 13, 
34. By the way, that came natural to them, didn't it? Peter found it very easily to love the other 11. No, Peter found it very easy to see that they could deny Christ, but he never would. James and John, it was no problem for them to love the others. They said, I tell you what, you know what, we'll take the lower seat. Let Peter and Andrew sit on his right hand and his left. They have the same problems we do, selfishness and pride. Do you know why the Lord has to tell us over and over to love one another? Because we don't naturally do it. We do not. Not a person in this room naturally loves anybody within the person, other than the person we look at in the mirror. I am never have a hard time loving me. Never. So God has to remind me as my Father, now that I've saved you, because it's His Word that activates His character in my life. And so He says, you love other people. Do you realize how many times? I don't think we can count the number of times we are told to love one another. We're to love the brethren. We're to love our enemies. We're to love as we have been loved. And the fact of the matter is we have to be told because that's not what we do. So John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another, as I have loved you that ye also love one another. Do you think then John had already heard this? when he was on earth, when the Christ is on earth, and they were walking together, then do you think immediately he must have begun to teach his disciples? Now, the Lord Jesus taught us as his disciples to love one another. Here's what I'm trying to say. From the moment you get saved, the moment you get saved, the Spirit of God begins to teach you, you need to love the other members of God's family. This is why from the moment you get saved, you need to make it a priority to be with God's people when they assemble because... From the, from the word go, from the time we're born again, uh, all the way forward, we are taught and told to love one another. John gives them that reminder. Something they already knew from the beginning. From the moment they got saved, they had been taught to love one another. John 15, verse 12, the Lord Jesus repeats it. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. By the way, the fact that it's his commandment is what makes it our duty. He said, do it, therefore, it is our duty. And we're reminded that it is. John chapter 15, verse 17, it's repeated again. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Jesus is about to leave them in John 13, John 15, and he is telling them before he leaves, I want you and I'm telling you, love one another. Uh, I believe in a time when God's people are under probably as far as in this generation, we're seeing God's people under as much pressure as we've ever been before to compromise and conform to the world, we ought to especially love one another. If we ever have needed to before, this is a time when we need to prioritize and, uh, our love for each other. So the, the, he, he spells out in verse 10 of 1 John 3 the relationship between righteousness and love. He reminds them uh, that uh, they already knew and had been commanded to love one another. And then he gives some reasoning for why we should love one another. Look at verse 16 again as we're dealing with the fact that it's our duty to love one another. Of course, it's our duty because it's commanded. But look at verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we see and and comprehend and perceive God's love for us? Well, it's very simple. uh, Because he laid down his life for us. We know the Lord Jesus. We sing, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones didn't belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Go on and talk about how he died for me. The fact is, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The proof that God loves us is that he laid down his life for us. Well, then John says, now if that's how we perceive the love of God, then he's going to make this conclusion. 
Eh, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we see that the way Christ loved us is by laying down his life for us, then that tells us how we ought to love one another by laying down our lives for one another. Let me ask you this, and and I'm not trying to harp on this, but I think this helps bring this message to real practical terms. What's the number one reason people will give for not being faithful to church? And I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You're here on a Thursday night. But what's the number one reason? What's that? That would be a reason for sure. The number one I hear is, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I've heard Sunday is a family day. I'm talking about from people who claim to be Christians. I've got other responsibilities on Sunday night or midweek. I don't have time. How many of you know there's some truth in that statement? Meaning this, you have to take time to go to church. How many of you could be doing something else right now? How many of you could be in a recliner enjoying your nice evening? Now, you know what you had to do to be at church tonight? You had to lay that down. You had to say, I'm going to give up something I could do for me to be faithful to God's people. That's what church is, God's people. And I'm willing to lay down my life, even if it's for a few hours. I'm willing to forego what I want. Now, that has to do with church attendance. Many other aspects of serving God's people, it's the same thing. Many times we forego our opportunities to serve because how many of you know you can only do so much with one hour of time? It's like money. You, I can't spend my money on a car. If the same, I can't spend the same amount of money on a car and a boat. If it's one amount of money, and the boat costs $2,000 and the car costs $2,000, I can't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy them both. I have to choose. And many times when it comes to serving God's people, we know I've got to choose how I'm going to spend my life. I'm either going to spend it on God's people, on the house of God, and the work of God, or I'm going to spend it on me. And so many times that's a pretty easy decision. But if we love one another, we lay down our lives for one another. We say, I'm willing to say no to me that I may be a, a servant to you. And by the way, there's no way around that. There's no way around it. i got news for you tonight. I cannot be an architect and a pastor at the same time. My plan for my life was I'll go to school, learn to be an architect, and go make a bunch of money. But there came a time where I realized I'm going to have to choose here. I'm either going to have to pursue this career or I'm going to have to pursue ministry. And there came a time when the Spirit of God through the Bible, the Word of God, convinced me what He wanted me to do. I had to choose. And there's a lot of choices since then that I have to make and you've had to make and do make. The fact of the matter is, is that loving one another, we do so not because the person we love has earned that, but not somebody put it this way. We don't love one another because what we've received from one another, but because of what we've received from Him. What we've received, we are duty-bound to give. To whom much is given of the same is much required. It's Luke chapter 12, verse 48, John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Can I tell you why church attendance is on the decline and why church ministry is on the decline? Say, because of all the hypocrites, because of all the bad pa- No, because we don't love God's people. That's it. How many of you have been disappointed by people in church? Look at though. I don't, I don't, I love you folks tonight, but I don't pastor you for the thrill I get by being your pastor. I do because the Lord has given me and I have a duty then to give what's been given to me just as you have the same. 
We have received something we did not deserve, have we not? He laid down his life for us, so it only stands to reason we should lay down our lives for each other. That's what, that's what God's teaching us. That because of what he did, we are to follow in his steps and lay down our lives for each other. Many times the number one reason for not serving God's people and serving in God's purposes is it's just inconvenient and we have to give something up to do so. Well, if we've received... Let me ask something. Did Jesus have to give anything up to fulfill the will of God the Father so we could be saved? He gave up his throne in heaven. He gave up... How many of you understand this? We all have more in earthly sense than Jesus Christ ever had. I'll go back tonight to a house where I sleep every night. The Son of Man had not where to lay his head. Birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He gave up a regular dwelling place so he could save us. He gave up the notoriety he was worthy and due that he might save us. He gave up heaven's glory, but he also gave up earth's glory just so he could save us. How many times are we prone to not give up the least conveniences simply to serve one another? And so the reasoning is this. If he laid down his... We perceive... You know what? By the way, this is how you measure love. By what is laid down in sacrifice. I heard the word serve, sacrifice, and preference. Are those not all the same things? I give up something that I could keep, and instead of keeping or instead of taking... I'm giving of myself for your benefit. Uh, it's not... How many of you know this? Many times love is... Oh, that person's such a loving person. Why? Because they always have a smile on their face and a soft tone in their voice. And Well, that's nice. But that means I like them. That doesn't mean they love. Love is when someone is constantly giving up of themselves for someone else's benefit. And that's what our Lord did for us. So... John reminds us, we know that we're supposed to love each other, and then he reasons with us, the Spirit of God does. If he, we perceive his love by the fact he laid down his life for us, therefore, because he laid down his life for us, we should lay down our lives one for another. May I say this? I believe this is the key to staying in the ministry. And I didn't, I'm not talking about full-time ministry. Every one of us have ministry to perform, service. And if you're going to continue to serve God's people in the local church, you're going to have to love God's people because he loved you first. Not because the love gets reciprocated. Not, let me say this. Not even because you see the outcome or the benefit of loving other people. Love other people. Invest in other people. But other people are going to disappoint you. But that doesn't change the fact. You know what's a constant? Christ died for me. He laid down his life for me and that will never change. Guess what then? Then I'll never get to the point where I'm not supposed to love God's people. Ever. Because I always have the fact that he laid it all down for me. How many of you think that the night of his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus said, wow, it was worth it. I'm glad I left heaven's glory so Peter would deny me. I'm glad I left heaven's glory so Judas would betray me. And at the cross, he had one disciple, John, that was there and all the others were gone. Do you think while he's hanging on the cross, God the Father's turned away? None of his disciples showed up except John. Do you think he's hang there and said, oh boy, it was worth it all. It was, but he didn't by looking at the results immediately of his love. Don't judge whether or not you should love people by the immediate results of doing so or will not. You don't always see the results of it. But guess what? We love because he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. May I say we love one another because he first loved us. 
The basis of our love is what has been given from him, not what we're given from one another. And so then loving one another is our duty. Number two, loving one another is our distinction. It is our love for one another that distinguishes us from the world. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by, here, here, by this shall all, the world, uh, shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have. Love one for another. If you truly and sincerely love one another, that's what distinguishes us from the world. Look at verses 12 through 15. We'll not belabor this. But John begins to give some clarification, verse 12, when he says, not as Cain. So let me give you a contrast. This is not what love for brethren looks like. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Excuse me. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. It's our distinction. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That's exactly what Jesus said, is it not? You've heard there said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you that whosoever hateth his brother without a cause... Is, 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 is murdered or killed already. That's paraphrasing. So verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He gives clarification by saying, let me give you a contrast. This is not what love looks like. This is hatred. Cain who killed his brother. Cain was religious, was he not? There were people from the seed of Cain, certainly among these people. But may I say this? I was thinking through this today as I was meditating on this text. There is an entire group of people today who claim to be Christians and they spend the bulk of their lives railing on people who are doing right because they're doing wrong. Someone else's righteousness is a conviction and they spend all day on Facebook and Twitter and every blog post they can telling how wicked people are who have standards of righteousness because they love God, railing on them. That is Cain religion. Cain religion seeks to cancel people who convict you. The world did it 2,000 years ago. Jesus was righteous. The Pharisees were wicked. So they said, I'll tell you what, let's do. Kill him. Nothing new under the sun, is there? And I say this, those, and by the way, those same people today who rail on other people for doing right say they're doing so in the name of? We just love people. And I say this, one of the most blessed things that's ever happened to me is when someone else was doing right and their righteousness was a conviction to my sin. Nothing else will bless you more than someone else's righteousness being a light to reveal that you're in error that will reprove you and help set you straight. Amen? But the, the, So what John said, I mean, this is not what it looks like. Cain killed his brother. Why? Because, you know, Abel was more talented. No, because Abel's deeds were righteous and his own were evil. And because Abel's righteousness was a reproof to Cain, he said, well, I'll just shut the reproof up. I'll kill him. And John says, that's not loving the brethren. That's rocket science, isn't it? He's giving us that clarification through contrast. Then he gives us some counsel. He speaks what he does of Cain because he says this, you love one another, brethren, but don't expect the world to love you. Let me ask you something. You've heard me say this many times recently. What has gotten so many churches in a mess today? We marvel that the world would hate us. And we do everything we can to get them to love us. Marvel not if the world hate you. Jesus said the same thing. He said if they hate you, just remember I'm paraphrasing, they hated me first. You and I are to never set out to get a lost world that rejects Christ to like us or love us. 
If we do that, we'll corrupt every time. And so he says, marvel not if the world hate you. And so then don't expect from the world what we give each other as brethren. It's our distinction to love one another. The world does not love. The world hates because they're of their father, the devil. And so then he gives clarification. He gives us some counsel. Marvel not if the world hates you. You can put in your notes, if you're taking notes, John 7, 7 and John 15, 18 and 19 where the Lord dealt with the same issue. And then he gives us, he says that this matter of loving one another is a source of confidence when he says this in verse 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know what he's saying? Loving the brethren is a source of assurance of salvation. One of the number one reasons you need to get in the house of God and stay with God's people, faithful to assemble, it'll help give you assurance of your salvation. Because we, we know. We already know that's what we're supposed to do. Loving the brethren does not save you, but it gives you assurance that you're saved. And so he says, loving one another, he clarifies it with the example of Cain. He gives counsel, marvel not if the world hates you. He says that loving one another is a source of confidence. It helps us know that we have passed from death unto life, that there has been salvation and transformation. May I say this? It ought to click clear in the conscience of any person. If I love anybody, God had to save me. If I can actually love someone else, that is a mark that God transformed me because that is not natural. It's supernatural. For us to lay down our lives for someone else, you have to be born again to do that. I'm talking about in the, in the genuine sense. I understand people make sacrifices, lost people do, and that kind of thing. But to consistently, faithfully love one another is a mark that we've been transformed by the grace of God, that we're new creatures. And then he says, here's the conclusion in verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in you. Again, you know, I think he's doing is exposing false teachers and false professors in their midst. There were those seducers coming among them who hated the family of God. You ever, had, you ever met anybody that showed up and when they start, and I'll say this again, it goes back to the crowd I alluded to a minute ago. There are some people who claim to be Christians and all they can ever do is say all that they hate about church. Now, I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about just church. I'm done with church. And they, 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 they are constantly running down the people of God. Friend, there's something wrong there. God's, look, God's people, we, ha- we have problems. We have need for reproof and correction. But there's a difference when there's hatred in your heart for the family of God, then you're not in the family. If you hate the family of God, you're not a member. That's what John's saying. It's a very clear conclusion. Number three, loving one another is our duty. Loving one another is our distinction. That's verses 12 through 15. And thirdly, loving one another is our decision. Verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Is there a difference in saying we ought to and we do? Ought says this is your responsibility. Now you're going to have to do something with your responsibility. It is right and appropriate that we should love one another. You know what? God's people are not forced to do what is right. We do what's right because we want to. We do what's right out of love for God. We do what's right out of faith in God. Faith worketh by love, the Bible says. And so then, love is a decision. It's our decision. It's our commandment, which means it is our choice. It's a decision that, should, that is purposeful. When it's something we ought to do, may I some? What stands between our not doing something that we ought to do and actually doing it? 
What is the hinge point where we see something? Okay, young people, you can help me here tonight. Uh, you get up and you think, boy, I ought to read my Bible. How I many you know you ought to read your Bible? Okay, you know it's a good thing to read your Bible every morning. How I many you read your Bible this morning? Wonderful. So you knew you ought to. What what happened? Mom and Dad came and grabbed you by the ear, opened your Bible and said, read. How many of you, that's what happened this morning? Your mom or dad stuck your nose in the Bible and said, read it. How many of you, you made the decision to actually read? Help me here. How many of you did that? You knew. So you knew you ought to. What happened between knowing what you ought to do and the actual getting done is you made a decision. You said, I'm going to go, I'm going to get up, I'm going to grab my Bible, open it, and I'm going to start reading. Isn't that deep? You know what lies between us loving the brethren, knowing that we ought to and doing it? Do it. Say, how? When you have an opportunity to give of yourself, to give up something that you, that you know you could keep for yourself. It can be money, it can be your time, it can be your abilities, whatever it may be, or all the above. And you could keep it for yourself, but you know you could give it for the benefit of somebody else. Do it. Prefer the other person over you. That's love. Isn't it? I could spend my time and my resources on me, but instead I'm going to spend it benefiting God's people. That's a decision, not an emotion. The emotions come later. You know what happens after you decide to love a brother? You say, man, I like this. You know why you say that? Because you're saved. If you're saved, you'll enjoy loving God's people. There's joy in giving up of yourself for the benefit of somebody else. That's a miracle. But that's what happens. You say, I decide. I know what I ought to do. So instead of continuing to be a selfish brat, I'm going to actually give of myself for somebody else. And we give up and do so for another. And it's a decision that is purposeful. It's a decision that's practical. I think we've already addressed that. Look at verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good. What is this world's good? Stuff that passes away, right? Food, clothing, money. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need. So John's just illustrating. So here, here's, we know what we ought to do. Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Meaning you see the, the other person's need, it's a brother. You have what they need. Meaning they don't have it and you do. And you keep it instead of giving it. How do I have the love of God in you? And you say, here's the practicality of love. You have something someone else doesn't and you give it because they need it. That's about as practical as it gets, isn't it? Sometimes, how many of you have ever done this? Someone wants to talk to you about something. And you sit there and you think, why are we talking about this? And you can tell it's very important to them. And you think, man, i got some ice cream to eat. Now, right now, what you have that they need is two ears in a few minutes. Right? This is as practical as it gets. You say, you know what? If I don't go get my ice cream right now, I'm going to miss it because the store is going to close. But that's okay. Because right now, they need to talk to somebody, and though I don't really care about what they're talking about, they do, and I care about them. So I'm going to sit right here and forego my treat to listen to what they have to say. Are you with me tonight? 
We think this is laying down our lives for the brethren. I've dealt with this before. A Mack truck is coming down the road, and they're in front of it, and they don't see it coming. You come, and you throw them out of the way, and you die in their place. Hey, that's love. But that's not the example John used. He says, here's what I mean by laying down your life for the brethren. They have something. They need something. You have it. When you hold on to it, that's not love. But when you give it, James deals with the same thing. Someone comes to you and they have no food or no clothing and you say, go and God bless you and God feeds you and you have it. Proverbs talks about this. Your neighbor comes to you and they need something and you act like you don't have it because you don't want to mess with it. I'm paraphrasing. That's wrong. So it's very loving one another is very practical. Very practical. I think when we define God's love God's way, we realize how selfish we really are by nature. And then we see how practical loving one another is. So love is purposeful, love is practical, and it must be pure. This is very interesting to me as we wrap up tonight. One of the things that God emphasizes over and over and over through the New Testament Scripture when He's dealing with loving one another is that it's not supposed to be fake. Look here. How many of you, if you walk in the room, Colton, come help me. You walk in the room tonight, you're starting to show up for church. Oh, Colton, so good to see you, man. Oh, so glad you're in church tonight. Man, I love you. So good to see you. Wow, praise God. You say, my car is broke down out here. and Can you give me a jump? No, I don't have time. Sorry. but Man, God bless you. Now, you look and you look, man, doesn't, don't I love him? Well, you can shake hands, thank you. You can shake hands, pat back, smile, and say sweet things all we want. That is not love. It's just not. It, we, love is kind, but love acts. Love is practical. He says in verse 18, my little children. Let me give you some instruction. Let us not love in word. It's, look, I think we should, we should tell one another, I love you. But if that's all it is, that's not good. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Reckon why that verse is in the Bible. Why does he have to say, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed, meaning in what you do, and in truth? Because it's our tendency to say, well, I know I ought to love people, and I want everybody to know that I do what I ought to do. So I'll say it. Well, I love, I love God's people. I love you. Well, I love you. And then never back it up with actions. It's no good. We're to be doers and not hearers only. Let me give you a few verses as we conclude so we can realize this is a theme that God emphasizes that love must be sincere. It's not supposed to be an act. It's to be sincere or pure. Romans twelve nine again, let love be without dissimulation. What is dissimulation? It's hypocrisy. It's putting on a show that we are something we're not. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave that which is good. Verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're to be kindly affectioned one another in honor preferring one another. And so then 1 Timothy 1, 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned what's he saying your charity is supposed to come from a pure heart you're not supposed to get people to think you love god's people when you really don't really love god's people 
sincerely and truly, not just with, with mouth or lip service, but in sincerity. And then finally, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and we'll close here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. He says, Seeing ye have purified your souls. That's talking about our salvation, our, our, our having been forgiven and pardoned by God. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto. So here's the work that's the fruit of our salvation. Unto what kind of love of the brethren? Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Three verses we've read tonight that emphasize, four actually, that emphasize when it comes to brotherly love, don't pretend. Don't pretend. Now why would God in his wisdom have to tell us four times don't pretend to love each other? Because we are often content with the substitute for reality. We are often content to check our box and say, see, everybody thinks I love people, so there you go. No, not in word, not in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Meaning, we don't just say hypothetically, oh, I would make great sacrifices for God's people. No, we do it. In fact, do it, don't say it. Just do it, amen? God God is, is interested in what we do. And so tonight, love is our duty, love for one another. It is our distinction. It's what distinguishes us from the world, and it is our decision. It's a purposeful, practical, pure-hearted decision. Mm-hmm.